President's veto of a bill strengthening public access to government documents is a continuation of the Watergate mentality, says Senator Kennedy. Doctors say they may know within three weeks whether former President Nixon can testify in person at the Watergate cover-up trial. This is Lester Smith reporting. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR Radio 710, the talk of New York. saying I read this headline, it says, uh, Elephant gets drunk, runs amok, slays five. I thought to myself, my God, that sounds like about ten guys I know. You know, if they had the chance. <laughs> bring it up, bring it up. Let them hear it. There ain't no way to escape. Particularly aesthetically satisfying for those uh, students of uh, contemporary existence, such as it is. Right. Keep a straight face, though. You're not allowed to laugh. No way. Oh, no, no, no. Absolutely. You're not allowed to laugh at life. Uh, it's a very serious proposition. Uh, no way. In fact, uh, I received a letter. Uh, written by one of those nice ladies that use green ink on light blue stationery. And that's one of Shepard's great rules, by the way. Uh, people who use green ink on blue stationery or who use blue ink on green stationery or lavender ink on purple stationery or purple stationery on pink ink, uh, etc., uh, those are people one must be careful about. Uh, they, they'll write angry letters to the editor and they tend to wear space shoes and have cats. I mean, the... They often are vegetarians, too. And, oh, yes, the worst type. And, uh, <laughs> I know one old lady, by the way, that still wears her Barry Goldwater button. Absolutely, proudly. And, uh, nevertheless, uh, I got this uh, nice letter, and she said, Dear Mr. Shepherd, I, I don't like to uh, offend you. However, I found uh, some of your remarks the other night so amusing that I actually, uh, well, I actually laughed out loud, which is something I don't often do. And I said to my husband, Charles, this young man doesn't realize. I said, well, you know, what do you mean I don't realize? I'm probably the only... <laughs> Can you imagine writing a letter to Buddy Hackett, apologizing to him that you laughed? But uh, nevertheless, uh, I don't, this is not, not a thing to be laughed at tonight. Not, not at all. Uh, this is uh, this is an aesthetic evening, and uh, since yes, absolutely straight. Uh, one of the things about our country that must be pointed out: we come from 
an entire race, no matter what your religion is, you come out of the American soil, which is the soil that has spawned the great evangelists of all the world. I'm not talking about specific evangelism. I'm talking about evangelism as a concept. And evangelists just don't laugh. No, you have a sacred mission. And uh, as, a, uh, as a comic, I can tell you this, friends. If you get out before a bunch of used car dealers and you do a satire about used car dealers, you are met with a deafening silence. If, on the other hand, you do before a, uh, a convention of used car dealers a scathing satire of dentists, they roll in the aisles. Why? Because they feel that bringing the used car to America is a sacred trust. It's not funny. If you do a satire of used car dealers in front of dentists, you're going to get a hell of a big whoopee laugh. But you do things on, uh, on uh, orthodontists, I have known, and uh, no way, no, no humor, because this is a sacred trust. Every man today believes that he is, has got a sacred uh, charge. I mean, insurance men believe that they are bringing security. They are bringing everlasting life to people. And you don't laugh at somebody bringing everlasting life, do you, Barney? No, absolutely not. It's only the other guy that's doing this cockamamie, ridiculous scheme. Hi, <laughs> George. <laughs> it's only the politicians that are knaves and fools in our society. <laughs> Not insurance men. No way. Ah, nice. Well, all right, then. Let's, let's get on with the serious part of the show, uh, which, of course, uh, we all know are the commercials. However, uh, <laughs> sometimes it seems that way. <laughs> well, you notice how, how quickly... Uh, how, how quickly uh, Dick Cavett's face changes when he uh, when he goes to the commercial. Oh, his face gets very, very yes, very official. And uh, no matter what's going on before that, you notice even Johnny Carson in the middle of the when, when they switch to uh, Ed McMahon and the Alpo commercial, he changes. Oh, this is this is a serious point in time uh, to quote any one of seventeen different defendants. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, I must say. I must say that all of us have been victims of time, from time to time of the most trivial incidents that have set the tone of our whole life. Well, I got a letter from a guy. He says, Shepard, uh, what's the worst gift you ever got in your life? He said, I ask you this. He says, because I'm planning to give a friend of mine a gift, and I want to lay a bad one on him. You know, I, I uh, hate to be an arbiter of evil. In a sense, uh, I, <laughs> I really do. But I, I, I do recall. It depends on whether you call a gift bad just because it's rotten or a gift that has ultimate evil meaning. That's different. I mean, that's different. See, if you, if you give, say, for example, a guy a folding canoe, and he loves the folding canoe, and one day he's out there rowing across uh, uh, Walden Pond uh, after a Thoreauian... Uh, a period of meditation, and the damn thing folds up on him out there in the lily pads, it then becomes an evil gift. Correct, him, all? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I just uh, point out to you that, that what seems to be uh, benevolent can often turn into something unbelievably the opposite, right? In fact, all evil approaches you on, on the uh, subtle cat's feet of benevolence. True evil. As opposed to trouble, which just happens. I mean, uh, trouble is not the same as evil. I mean, let's face it, uh, evil is a long-term process. Trouble is something you can call the insurance man about, right? Okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> do you notice one insurance company now uh, has uh, 
behind their insurance ads on television, they have the sound of uh, of the cavalry coming in over the hills. You know, ta-da, 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 you hear the bugle blowing, and you can just see those guys coming down to save the poor little band of uh, of uh, pioneers beleaguered behind their wagons. And uh, that's what you get when you pay your insurance, of course. You get those good hands that uh, cradle you like that. And we're on the subject here of good hands. I- I'd like to put you into the good hands of these chefs at the Blue Ribbon. How do you like that? Uh, if you're looking for a really good... Ra- Wasn't that smooth? I'll tell you. And I don't even have an Ed McNeyan to sit here and laugh inanely at my inanities. But uh, I uh, I do like to recommend the good good folk uh, at uh, the Blue Ribbon. For those of you who don't know the restaurant, it's a superb German-type restaurant and some of the best German food in the town. And by the way, if you think of German food as heavy, I would suggest uh, you'll completely uh, renovate your ideas and cha- do a 180, as we say in flying, when you visit the Blue Ribbon, because they have the best of German food. If you haven't had an elegant Wiener schnitzel lately, friends, I would like to recommend the Blue Ribbon. And this is the time of the year for it, you know? A Wiener schnitzel. You know what Wiener schnitzel is? Wiener, of course, refers to Vienna. It's schnitzel prefer- uh, per- uh, done, performed in the Viennese fashion. There are several schnitzels. <laughs> well, trail of God. Uh... If you uh, would like to say, for example, have a sauerbraten that will bring tears to your eyes, I would like to recommend the Blue Ribbon. It's at 145 West 44th Street, and uh, right here in the theater district, if you're coming to a show or something, it's right right in the middle of the theater district. You just walk to the nearest theater, that's all. It's on 44th Street, right off of Times Square, 145 West 44th, and they're open Monday through Saturday until midnight. And they have a great lunch. They have a great dinner before the theater. And they have a nice, elegant snack menu for after the theater, including elegant uh, apple pancakes done in the German fashion with a little cinnamon, you know, really nice. So this is the Blue Ribbon. By the way, among other things, they have a tremendous selection of uh, imported draft beers, including one of my favorite draft beers, by the way. It's not an imported beer, but a very good Imported American beer is Pryor's Light on draft. Have you ever had it? They have both light and dark on draft. So I would like to suggest the Blue Ribbon, 145 West 44th Street, Monday through Saturday, 1130 until midnight. They're not open Sunday, and I would suggest you call for a reservation. It's JU24898. Right? Before the big iron gate closes behind you. You're left standing out there in the rain eating a Nathan hot dog again. I mean, you know, not that I got anything against a Nathan hot dog, but when you got your mind set on Wiener Schnitzel, ain't no way a Nathan hot dog's going to do it. Do you agree? No way. This is uh, WOR New York. And for those of you who collect truly, truly awesome commercials, I mean, uh, commercials that rise like a giant stately galleon out of the sea of uh, ordinary mire and muck of commercial scrabbling, <laughs> to, you, to collect those that come on in a cosmic style. Listen to this one. Turn your tape recorder. you got to put this in your collection. Oh, listen to that. The Colonel Bryce Woodmaker presents the most honored motion picture of all time. That ain't a movie. God it's an event. With the wind. The monumental drama. And great love as history marches across the screen. The Millions War. die and the flames of Atlanta light up the darkening sky. Vivian Lee, Leslie Howard, and Olivia de Havilland. Well-known American Star Southern Atlanta, Leslie Howard. The magnificent motion picture ever made. 
Selznick's production of Margaret Mitchell's immortal classic. Immortal? Wow. That's a long time you're talking about, buddy. Gone with the wind. Rated That's G. away with immortality. Gone with the wind. Isn't that fantastic? Wow, now there's a commercial. Now at red carpet theaters everywhere. Check newspaper listings for a theater near you. That it is. <laughs> My God. I mean, you just can't stand in the way of an avalanche, can you? Even as a kid, when I first saw Gone with the Wind, I wondered how the heck Leslie Howard got by trying to pretend to be a decadent southern planter. The, the, you know, they all speak with that elegant Oxfordian English, of course. Just, con- just consult William Faulkner. He'll tell you any time. I'm, I'm a Snope fan. I'm, I, I like old Flem Snopes. You remember Flem Snopes? Isn't that a great name? Flem Snopes. You never heard of Flem Snopes? Yeah, well, that, that character... Flem Snopes, yeah. Well, he's out of Faulkner, see? He's like the character in the novel that I'm working on. A guy named Toad Horny. Great name. Oh, Western civilization type, you know, bringing it out there to the poor benighted people of Utah. Old Toad and his family. The horny boys. Great crowd. Would you please hit another one? Today we're in the health and diet section of the Barnes & Noble bookstore. Only in America do people believe they can get the book to solve every problem in the world. (laughs) I'm going crazy! How can I get a book? I'm being sane! No way, friend. No way, friend. Those that are born a cuckoo bird will remain a cuckoo bird forever. Forever, forever, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Which reminds me, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, you're going to hear general spots. Sing it, friend. Sing it, I say, sing it out. It's number 117. Someday you'll own. Someday you'll own. Someday you'll own. the bouncing ball. Sooner or later, you'll own the generals. But here's the text of today's little sermon. If you need a long mileage tire, buddy, get General's 40,000-mile dual steel radial built with a smooth-riding radial fly body. Fly right. Two strong steel belts for puncture protection. See what radial tire performance can do for you, your life, your car. Mount dual steel radial tires at your local General Tire headquarters. Ask for Joe Coarta at General Tire Service, Jericho Turnpike in lovely Smithtown. And sing proudly. So do later, you long generals. Yeah, yeah. So do later, you long generals. Oh, you're not ready. Oh. We're always ready. I knew you'd get it up there. <laughs> Listen to this guy. Can't you see this in the second act of a cockamamie musical? The chorus on their swing. Carol Channing on a big, big velvet swing. We've marked prices this way. Yes. Red or low every day. That's Robert Preston out there dancing. Sir. When you hear this line, our grand buys them are green. 
Oh, and weekly the specials, we mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. How come the weekly specials answers come out? Right. Grand Union. No, oh, 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 yes. Uh, some Grand Union buys a Grand Union this week. USDA choice corn-fed boneless beef roast, $1.18 a pound. Grand Union half-gallon fresh orange juice, 39 cents. Golden ripe bananas, 15 cents a pound. Win the golden banana at Grand Union. Oh, wow. Whee! <laughs> oh, oh, yes, yes. Let's get, let's get back to life. What do you say? We'll get back to life. Uh, somebody, you know, wrote to me. I, I ought to squeeze in a little show once in a while on our program. Don't you think so? I've been asking the sales department permission, and uh, it's not been easy. It really hasn't been easy. They, they, they're, they're truculent. But uh, <laughs> I just thought of a fantastic pun on the word truculent, and I better not use it. Oh no, no, no. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I must say that the that the letter this writer wrote to me uh, did touch a chord. I I do recall uh, there was a gift once that proved to be my undoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've often wondered why uh, some guys go on to become Johnny Carson, bright, clean, fresh-faced, living in Hollywood off the fat of the land, eternally talking to Victor Borga, the blessed, the Richard Corys of our world, right? You've wondered about this and how it is you turned into Miniver Cheevy? You don't know who he is. Well, that's because you're illiterate. However, uh, that's right. That's why that is. That's why you don't know. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, Miniver Cheevy, who ruined the day he was born <laughs> and shook his fist at the heavens, uh, this is this is the common lot of man. And... Uh, I, you know, I'm a kid at this point, but this is a kid's story. I'll have to, and it has nothing to do with nostalgia. It is a story that deals with good and evil, as most stories should deal with. Because they're the two things that face us constantly in our daily life, right? Some opt for evil, some opt for good. Some opt for the great gray area, where there is no good, there is no evil. That's right, there's only danger. Hmm. Well, all right, you know, I'm a kid, you know, and, and uh, I had this uncle. Now, everybody has an uncle that gives you gifts. You know, comes over, he's always, he always lays a goodie on you. And the only reason you want to see old Uncle Tom or Uncle Fred is because he's got this thing that he always gives you, right? And usually he gave me very innocent things, you know? My, I had his, actually, his name was Uncle Tom. And he only came around quite rarely, very rarely. He would show up, uh, oh, maybe every three or four, five months at the, at the outside. There's always in every family an outsider that just doesn't hang around the game. Uh, of course, you know, the, the usual family, every Sunday, you know, they all get together like a, a beehive and uh, keep yelling about the same old problems they've yelled about for a hundred years. And uh, the, the moiling mess and moil and toil and trouble of family life. Uh, but uh, Uncle Tom and Aunt Glenn, they were not part... You rarely heard me mention these two because they, they operated outside the family orbit. No one knew why, but I now, at this point, know. <laughs> had I known my family and that whole crowd, that whole bunch that I was a part of at a certain age, I too would have operated out of it. I stayed under the porch most of the time. Well, Uncle Tom only showed up occasionally. When he did, he came bearing gifts. Probably because he felt... Uh, uh, conscience because he hadn't shown up at the last 17 family Sundays, you know, that kind of thing. So nevertheless, on this particular uh, occasion, uh, old Uncle Tom showed up and he had this he had a usual gift. See? Well, he gave my kid brother a rubber dagger. Now, you've seen rubber daggers, right? 
Well, right away, I mean, that that, uh, that bugged me because uh, I had always had a desire to own a rubber dagger. You know, these they, they were great. They're great-looking daggers. It's a rubber one. It has a big black rubber handle. has a silver blade painted. So it's a great-looking dagger. And my package was very heavy, but small. It was a heavy package. He says, and the, here's for you because you're older. I says, oh, okay, I figured you know. Any time they start giving you gifts when they say you're older, that means you get a rotten dull gift like a tie, right? I mean, you know you know, you have crossed into a, 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 a land that you'll never come back from when people start giving you socks and stuff for Christmas. Socks and ties. That's, that's the never-never land of Daddy'sville. Uh, you know. <laughs> so anyway, he yeah, he says you're older. I said, oh yeah, well okay, thanks. So I I opened this thing up, figuring it was going to be something really dull, you know, like uh, who knows a set of match shoehorns, great stuff like that. Well, I, I couldn't figure out at first what it was. It looked like no, it looked like a block of metal with a clip on it, some kind of a big heavy brass spring clip that held two halves of this block together and it had sticking out of the end of it two wooden handles on each piece, each half of this block. In other words, it was a block of metal split down the middle that was held together with a clip and each half of the metal had a wooden handle. And I looked up at him and I said, you know, what's this? And instantly my kid brother, you know, he had that look of a total victory. See, he'd want a, he'd want a rubber dagger, and I got this doorstop. And so, you know, <laughs> I look at the rubber dagger. I mean, how many of you still feel bugged by the fact that other people always get better gifts than you do? I mean, there's no question about it that uh, there is a group of people who get great gifts. Then there's the rest of us. You know, you're the rest of us. Uh, for example, I have had people give me, for some curious reason... One of the most unusable things that I've ever owned in my life. I've never used one of them. Have you ever used a money clip? You know that I have four unused money clips. I mean, I'm thinking of you know beating them into sinkers so I can use them when I go fishing or something like that. You know, uh, you know, I never. I don't know anybody that uses a money clip, but they keep making them. I guess they make them for gifts. They don't make them to be used. You know. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, I had this block. See, so I said, I said to my uncle, uh, uncle, uncle Tom, I said, what, what, what is this? He says, well, why don't you look in the box and read the instructions? He didn't say it like that. You know, he said it like an uncle. You know, look in the box, read the instructions. Why is it all these fools that I always have to deal with never read the instructions? Well, at that point, I pulled this little piece of paper out of the box. It came in a box. The box had nothing on it. it just said that you know there was. And in the instructions, it said, remove the clip. This is stage one. Remove the clip. You will notice then that the mold is in two halves. It was a mold. Well, uh, you know, this was the first mold I ever owned. In fact, the last one. And uh, it says, at that point, when you remove this clip, you are then ready to begin molding your own set of lead soldiers. It was a mold to make lead soldiers with. Have you ever had one? Well, I did. And I'll tell you, it's, it, it's fantastic. I mean, you just take this, this, this mold and two sides come out, see, and, and it has a little hole on the top, a little hole, like a little funnel, see, and, and, and in fact had three little holes on the top. 
And when I when I pulled it apart, there were three like hollowed out soldiers in there. They were hollow, you see. You know how mold is. One soldier was standing there with like a like a revolutionary soldier, you see, and he was standing there and he was holding a musket. And uh, the next soldier, which was in the middle, looked like the kind of soldier that you always see in movies uh, starring Marlon Brando when he's pretending to be Napoleon. You know, with a horse. He's <laughs> sitting on a horse there with a cape and all that stuff. And the, and the third soldier was a World War One soldier with one of these flat helmets, you know, like they have with a pie plate and all that stuff. And uh, here, there he was standing there, see, at attention. And he had this pack on his back. And he was holding this, this gun down at his side and all that. I said, fantastic. How do you make them? And my uncle says, well, read the instructions. And uh, it says, at that point, you're supposed to take talcum powder. You take talcum powder and you, 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 you sprinkle talcum powder on the inside of the mold. Apparently that makes it so it doesn't stick. So you're something. You sprinkle talcum powder in there. It says, then you take common lead, which you can easily melt in uh, any available, easily usable saucepan. And uh, you just melt this lead and you pour it in. So, so allow uh, a few moments for it to harden. And then carefully pull the two halves apart. And there you have your magnificent soldiers, at which point you are supposed to trim off the soldiers. You know, with a, with a penknife, you trim them off, and then you can paint them, and you've got these great soldiers. It's fantastic. Of course, my mother doesn't know what is, what is about to happen. She's in the kitchen. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, she's in the kitchen doing her thing, which was making Sunday dinner because they were all over there at that time. So instantly, I said, oh, this is fantastic. Well, I ran down to the basement. Now, the old man used to do a thing he called soldering. You ever have a father that did a thing he called soldering? And he had this great big chunk, long piece of lead that he used when he, when he soldered. Now, I knew it was lead because it had stamped all over on the outside. It said lead. <laughs> it said lead, you know. So I could figure that's lead. So I, I knew right away, instinctively, I knew I better not do this around in the kitchen where the meatloaf was being made. See, so I go down in the basement. Now, down in the basement, like every basement, uh, there, were, there were a pile of tires in one corner, you know, some old furniture in another corner, the old man's workbench you know, piled up with tools and, and jars full of bent nails and stuff and, and uh, all kinds of string and, and wire that he said you never, you never know when you might need it. He had all that stuff. That was the you never know when you might need it corner. He had all this stuff piled up. Well, he had also down there a hot plate. Okay. Now, that hot plate he used to heat things like... Uh, like uh, shellac, he would heat on this hot plate. See, it was one of these little electric hot plates. So I go down there and I take this. He had a pot down there, see, that he <laughs> he used to use for mixing paint and all. I put this thing on. I turned it up. I put the lead in there, and by God, it melted. Have you ever melted lead yourself? Well, it just melts, like you know, and it has a kind of a scum over the top of it. it took about ten minutes. My kid brother's standing around. He's bugged now. He's got this rubber dagger. I mean, you know, what can you do with a rubber dagger? I mean, but uh, I had a thing that you really did stuff. So I'm down there with the lead, and I'm melting it. And I finally get this thing over, and I says, here, Randy, grab the other end and see this mold. So we both are holding this thing, and I start to pour the lead. See, well, first of all, lead does not pour like water. You know, the first thing you learn, it has a different specific gravity. And the, uh, let's say, the surface tension of lead is very different. It pours like Billy be damned, I'll tell you. And it goes all over the floor and all over. <laughs> My kid brother had the first lead kid tennis shoe in the neighborhood. His entire foot was encased in lead. He's all, oh, oh. but at this point, when you're really involved in something you dig, pain means nothing. See, so we're pouring this lead in there, and finally it overflows. I said, "Okay, that's enough, Randy. Quick, pull it, 
Don't don't mess with it. Now hold it tight. It says it says you hold it very carefully so it does not crack. And we waited, and then it congealed. I put the pot back on the on the fire. And we slowly, with a screwdriver, pried the two halves of the mold apart in a whole new magnificent world lay before us. These look great. You know, when you melt lead, before it oxidizes, it looks like silver. It was shiny, fantastic. You know, lead, you think it was gray. It looked beautiful. And so we trimmed them off, and we had our first three soldiers. And that began, let's put it this way, that began the work, which later became infamous, of the Cleveland Street Lead Foundry and Manufacturing Company, which set into business that afternoon down in the basement. We spent the entire afternoon melting every conceivable piece of lead we could find. <laughs> we melted the old man's solder. We were down in the basement making lead soldiers. Well, the next day, when Schwartz discovered this whole fantastic new world which had opened up before us, that began, as I might say, one of the few times in my life of true celebrity in the neighborhood. I owned the molds. <laughs> I owned the molds, and I knew how to do it. And from that time on, it was gravy. And uh, speaking of gravy... I'm Fran Allison. On nights when you have trouble falling asleep, what are... Chevron dealer about the Atlas Steel Radio 70 tire. And take this Chevron way. Well, no, I, you know, uh, the, 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 the way things creep up on you, it's, it's just terrible. You know, every one of us have had, have had a moment in our lives when we have been, let's put it this way, we have had the world in our grasp. Well, for one brief instant on Cleveland Street, I was it. Because this, this craze of, of making lead soldiers out of moles somehow... I mean, you know, it has to be a very basic human emotion to see something emerge magically where nothing was prior. I mean, I mean to see a lead soldier standing there on a horse. He's actually standing on a horse. The horse is, you know, is standing and he's got a cape. He's got a tricorn hat. And you made it out of pouring lead into a mold, out of these, you know, nothing-looking stuff. It's, it's a magical thing. Really is, and I, I don't know whether do, do girls ever feel that kind of emotion? I don't know. The, the, the fantastic wonder of seeing something there that that uh, that never was there before. Well, Flick and Schwartz and me and Broner, Jack Martin, Stanley Roper, we we we, we began to be fantastic lead scroungers. Now, it isn't easy to get lead when you're about ten, right? Uh, you, you, you just don't go down to the hardware store and buy seven pounds of lead or, or seven pounds of solder. And ever since this time, by the way, I have felt a warm feeling in my gut every time I pass a, uh, a department in a hardware store where it says solder. I love to look at solder. Rosin core solder. Acid core solder. <laughs> you too? <laughs> yeah, no, no way. That, that's a male thing. Solder, solder somehow has a, has a fascination about it and a satisfaction about it. And, and, of course, lead is not solder. Uh, solder is a combination of lead and tin. It's a mixture. But we were using pure, pure lead. Now, where do you get lead? Well, we took the hanging around junkyards. And we would, we would, uh, 
We would scrunch and steal lead plates out of batteries, old batteries they throw out. And you, get, you can get lead that way. Did you know that? Of course you do. But it smells like hell when you boil it. If you start boiling lead plates out of batteries, whoo-wee, you can smell out the whole house. All that sulfuric acid and stuff. But we began to make, every night, soldiers, soldiers by the dozens, by the hundreds. But they all looked alike. And that began, you know, after, after a certain point, it was merely repeating. But we couldn't stop. It was like, it was like uh, eating potato chips. I mean, you just can't stop. So we, we must have had about 500 soldiers of each type per each. I mean, bags of them. And one night, down in the basement, Flick changed the whole course of what had been up to this point. A very innocent and a very, let's say, uh, almost an idyllic uh, uh, phase of our life. Now, I might point out, and I think this is the way even things like Watergate happen. I mean, one day, one guy makes a suggestion and says, hey, what do you say? <laughs> oh, my God, who knows what lies in that direction? Anyway, we're sitting down in a basement, in Flick's basement, with, a, with all of our stuff laying out there. And by the way, we, we were taking turns as to whose basement we would do the cooking in and make the soldiers in. So one night it would be at Schwartz's, one night it would be Flick's, another night it's Roper's. And uh, this night we're down at Flick's and we're, we're making soldiers. And Flick says, hey, listen, he said, uh, you know, did you read last month's Boy's Life? Now, I don't know whether any of you ever read Boy's Life. Did you ever read Boy's Life? I read Boy's Life religiously. In fact, I read it more than I read anything but it was religious. I mean, me and Dan Beard used to go out uh, uh, vicariously and search for moss on the north side of trees every month. <laughs> I remember one piece in Boy's Life when I was a kid that practically put us all out of business. It says, make your own birch bark canoe. You ever tried to make a birch bark canoe when there are no birches living in your neighborhood and you try to make it out of oak tree bark? It just doesn't work. <laughs> we figured bark is bark, you know. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, he says, did you, did you read what uh, was in the boy's life last month? And Schwartz says, what was in there? He says, well, there's a, there's, a, there's a thing in there about how you can make a mold, and you can make anything you want. Uh, we don't have to have this mold. We can make another kind of mold. And Schwartz says, out of what? He says, out of a potato. Schwartz, a potato. He says, yeah. He says, you got any potatoes? And with that, Flick says, yeah, you got a whole bunch of potatoes. We've got a whole sack of potatoes here in the, <laughs> in the coal bin. He runs in, he gets out this great big potato. He says, here's what you're doing. According to the piece, you just cut the potato lengthwise. You cut it down, zap, one cut. Now you got two halves, right? He says, whatever you want to mold, you just put in the middle of one half of a potato, and you squash the potato together, and then you drill a little hole with a, with an ice pick down to this thing you want to mold, and you got you got to mold. You just hold this potato together, and it'll mold. Schwartz says, oh, come on. Flick says, yeah, you can redo it. He says, you know, we believed everything that was in boy's life. See, yeah, you can redo it. Schwartz says, well, let's try something. So Flick says, uh, well, what do we make? Well, we, we weren't going to make another soldier. We had soldiers coming out of the, you know, coming out of the garage. So <laughs> Flick, Flick says, wait a minute, I got something here. He looks in his pocket, and he takes out a penny. He says, let's try that. And he puts it on the potato, and he squeezes it together, holds it real tight. And we put a hole in it with the, with the, with the ice pick. We pour the lead in. He says, wait a minute, now, let me, let me get And you could smell a potato cooking. 
You actually cut. Because you know when the, when the lead goes down, it's hot, see? And it actually cooks the potato for one little brief moment. He pulls it apart. My God. A perfect silver lead penny. I mean, Lincoln was practically singing the battle hymn of the Republic right there. It even had the date. Everything was beautiful. It said one cent. E pluribus unum. In God we trust. And the idea hit all three of us simultaneously. And that night, we gave up making soldiers. And we began to make quarters. For about three days, we made quarters in the basement. Just for kicks. And at the end of the fourth day, Schwartz said, We've got all these lead quarters. Gee, they really look great. And they look beautiful. They look exactly like a real quarter. They really do. That's what... I can't tell you how beautiful they look. Schwartz said, What do you say? We try one out. And ten minutes later, we are down at Aschenschlager's. And we're looking in the candy department there. And Schwartz says, Give me one of them buddy fingers. And Flick says, I'll have a Milky Way. And I said, I'll have a Hershey bar. And old Aschenschlager leaning over there, you know. He's got these big, thick glasses on. He had a white apron. And he says, all right. He says, how about the money? Come on, pay. He says, that'll be uh, 20 cents. Schwartz hands him a lead quarter. He just put it in the machine with boing. Gave Schwartz a nickel back. And we were out on the street. Oh, my God. What a... We, we hid under Schwartz's porch and ate our candy bars. A half an hour later, we're down at George's Bowling Alley. This time, we're buying spicy detective magazines with lead quarters. And that began my life of crime. For over three weeks, we bought everything in sight with lead quarters. And never once did anybody say anything. And then one day, I'm sitting at supper. And the old man says, hey, did you read this? And there in the paper, it said, counterfeit gang hits neighborhood. Counterfeit 25 cents. We never again. But do you think I'm past the limitation clause? This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.